time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Today, we're breaking down Denver's 20-17 preseason victory over the Packers. It was the Broncos' home debut of sorts, the dress rehearsal for the regular season, and there's a lot to cover. Quarterback watch, Jamal Charles, takeaways, risers, fallers. You are listening to the Huddle Up Podcast. Welcome to the Huddle Up Podcast, your go-to show for all things Broncos. Welcome in, everybody, to the Huddle Up podcast presented by Mile High Huddle. It is time to drop some knowledge. I'm your host, Chad Jensen, Scout Media, CBS Sports Digital. With me is my partner, Will Keyes, editor and writer at Mile High Huddle. Will, after a few months off, you've made a, a big move back to campus. How goes the transition? You know, it's a little bit weird after eight months away coming back to an American university, but even though it's not perfect, it, it's better than say, Christian Hackenberg's transition to the NFL. So I think I'll be okay. Yeah, poor Christian. He he really has struggled. He was a second-round pick, too, wasn't he, by the Jets? Yeah, he was. Uh, he's basically struggled. He had that great freshman season at Penn State, and then Bill O'Brien left for the Houston Tech, hired James Franklin, who brought in the spread offense, and he just has not been the same since. Right. Or maybe it was just Allen Robinson leaving. Who knows? Yeah, quite the weapon. The Jets, their problems continue. And uh, really already, poor poor Todd Bowles. So it looks like they've already mailed the season in. And I just I can't see anything good on the horizon for that once semi-proud franchise. It, it's a tough sell. Uh, luckily, our friend Eric Decker got out of town to a team <laughs> that should contend for a playoff spot, we think. But not so for, for Todd Bowles and the other guys, unfortunately. Well, congrats on your move back to campus. Best of best of luck with uh, school as you finish up your education. And today's episode, we're proud to announce, is brought to you by MyBookie.net. Now, MyBookie.net is all about the excitement of making accurate sports predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. It's totally recreational, and there are all kinds of prizes. In today's climate, the fantasy industries have made watching football a lot more interesting. So go to mybookie.net and compete for great prizes totally free. Now, Huddle Up is here to give you a deep dive on your favorite team, the Denver Broncos, and we need your help. We can't grow without you. Every week, we ask you to rate the show on iTunes and on Stitcher if you're an Android user, and there's a big reason for it. Helps us to grow, helps us to reach new listeners, and we love it that you're listening. We love it that you're subscribing. Uh, We're not complaining, but if you haven't, Take a second and rate the show and leave a comment, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, because what we're going to do for the next two weeks is we're going to take the best comment that is made, whether it's on iTunes or Stitcher, we'll figure it out. Maybe we'll do one for each uh, platform, and we're going to give away a Mile High Huddle VIP premium membership to the person with the best comment. So get there, make it good, give us a great rating, make it a great comment, and we will announce the winner uh, in a couple of weeks. We appreciate you. Now, follow the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod and at MileHighHuddle. Also, take a second, make sure you're following Mile High Huddle on Facebook because from now until January or February, if we're lucky, Broncos football is officially back, and we're going to be dropping knowledge several times a week. You're not going to want to miss a single episode. All right, so it was the dress rehearsal for the regular season, and while it was far from perfect from the first team units, uh, we did learn quite a bit. The Broncos made their home debut against the Green Bay Packers, and of course the last time the Packers were in town, they got embarrassed by the Broncos in 2015. It was Aaron Rodgers' worst game of his career, held to whatever it was, 77 yards passing and just brutalized by the Broncos' pass rush. This time around, we barely got to see Aaron. The Broncos emerged victorious, of course, 20-17. to And Denver had to overcome a 10-point deficit in the first half. They pulled it off, thanks in large part due to some uh, good running by C.J. Anderson and Jamal Charles, which we're going to talk more about here in a, in a few minutes. But Kyle Sloter... Wasn't even supposed to play in this game, but when Paxton Lynch injured his shoulder in the third quarter, the undrafted rookie came in and just 
really elevated the second and third team offense. I was impressed once again. Uh, the Broncos offense, going through the numbers here, finished one yard shy of 300 on the night, while the Packers only managed to produce 265 total yards. Denver's 125 rushing yards uh, was good to see, led by D'Angelo Henderson's 34 on the ground. But it was Jamal Charles who actually led the team in yards per carry. The Broncos tallied five sacks on the night. And uh, let's start with the man, Will, who, who led the team in sacks. In fact, before the game started, I published a very quick piece kind of highlighting five Broncos who needed a big game against the Packers. Shelby Harris was one of those guys. He was coming off an excellent game against the Niners, and with all the injuries above him on the defensive line, he really needed another great performance just to prove to the coaches that he can be consistent, and he did just that with aplomb, leading the team not only in tackles, but sacks and tackles for a loss. Uh, you know, the common refrain is that, oh, well, you know, he was going against second and third teamers. Well, players who belong on the active roster should do exactly what he did, and that's dominate against the inferior competition. He was a total game wrecker for the Broncos in the second half. And here's what Coach Vance Joseph had to say about Harris after the game. Shelby's been solid, um, you know, from OTAs to training camp to the last three games. I mean, he's played really well. He had two uh, turnovers last week in San Fran and two sacks tonight. So Shelby is in a ascending player right now. All right, well, Derek Wolf is injured, as is Jared Crick. The Broncos need quality defensive line depth this year, which was something that eluded them in 2016. I honestly don't see any way Shelby Harris doesn't make this team well. Yeah, I totally agree. I think even if you took the injuries out of the equation – and hopefully it's not too long before Jared Crick and Derek Wolf, obviously Billy Wynn won't return the season, but it's been hard to ignore. And maybe it was the injuries that propped him up and gave him a chance in that San Francisco game early in the first half where he really got on everybody's radar, kind of didn't really make too much of a splash in that first Chicago game. But since that San Francisco game, and then especially last night, it's, it's just like field on every play. And sometimes he's a little more aggressive than he needs to be, but I think you'll live with that, especially – uh, given how how modest the production was out of the defensive line outside of guys named Derek Wolf for the Broncos last year. So you can't really stash him on the practice squad at, at this point. I don't think anybody who's watched um, the last two Denver Broncos preseason games yep. would let him slide uh, through 31 other NFL franchises. But, you know, he's, he's just been a monster. And I think I go back to that play last night where the Packers had a fourth and one Brett Hundley thinks he has an easy sneak up the middle and who comes up there right up the middle of the line yep. and stops it, stops the play basically before it happens. But Shelby Harris, that was, you know, a really incredible play that I don't, I don't think I've seen any other play, any other defensive lineman on the Broncos make. And it, it's just, it's going to be impossible to keep him on there off the roster. So I think, uh, I think September 11th against the chargers, you're going to see him on the field. You know, they took him off the field. It was almost like they had seen enough, and they were like, great job, let's bring Harris off. And right. then the Packers were kind of moving the ball, especially on the ground. So they put Harris back in, and once again, the defense stopped uh, the Packers. So, yeah, very impressive performance two weeks in a row by Shelby Harris. And uh, I think it's pretty safe to say he's locked himself up a spot on the 53-man roster. Now, with the preseason as it marches on, we're going to continue with quarterback watch. Saturday night wasn't the best performance by Trevor Simeon. He was off target early uh, through what would have been a pick six had Emmanuel Sanders not saved the day and tackled Kentrell Bryce on the two-yard line. Um, but the newly appointed starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos, he ended up going 13-22 for 127 yards with that one interception. He was sacked once. Solid, if unspectacular. Here's what the Trevster had to say about his performance in the dress rehearsal. Yeah, I think um, I just ended up moving around a little bit. I think that, you know, um, made, a, made a play and then got, kind of got in a rhythm um, from then on. But, uh, you know, I thought it, thought it was good, obviously, the pick pick stunk and then um, a couple other plays I'd rather and, and, you know like to do over again but um, good to kind of get in the flow of a game that was the first time really you know the first two games you're in and out having so fast that um, you're not doesn't even feel like you're playing a football game almost well Simeon got off to a rocky start but as you talked about in your piece recapping the game he got into a groove later on in the first half as the game wore on and it wasn't spectacular but your takeaways from Simeon's performance on Saturday night. Right. I mean, like you said, it wasn't perfect, and you're going to see some interceptions, especially 
because everybody's been calling for him to push the ball down the field. And I think he did a pretty good job of that last night, but kind of one of the, the byproducts of trying to be aggressive is obviously interceptions. Uh, and that happened with that overthrow to Demarius Thomas that got picked off by Kentrell Brewer. The important thing was that he bounced back really nicely and he didn't lose confidence after that. I think Trevor is mostly the starter because of his intangibles. And you see that he's really, really good at shaking off bad plays and he's got a short memory and he moves on to either the next, uh, next play or the next drive or the next game, even if he has a bad game, like we saw last year, but you saw, you saw that back shoulder throw to Jordan Taylor again, that we got a glimpse of last week yep. worked to perfection again, Jordan, Jordan Taylor, by the way, I think he's another guy that makes the team. He's got really strong hands and he showed it off again, but you saw it Trevor Simeon too. He's able to get in these grooves where it just looks like every time he drops back, he's going to connect. And you saw that in the drive after he threw the pick where they came back and basically marched down the field, culminating in that C.J. Anderson touchdown. And you saw it in the two-minute drill on the touchdown. Uh, it got them back in the game and tied it up at 10. And I think that was a good note for Trevor Simeon to leave off of. And I think you're going to see a pretty hot quarterback going into week one against the Chargers. Yep. I just I think you know if you go back to the Niners game where he came in second behind Paxton Lynch and it was really the this is where the decision is going to be made he played with a chip on his shoulder and he played with some emotion to his game which honestly you go back to last year he was cool hand Luke you know he was the guy that was constantly unperturbed everyone talks about his poise and I thought mm-hmm. he last week was able to harness and utilize that emotion in a way that helped him on the field and I think the coaches, it's incumbent upon them to constantly, as they're as they're going through film, as they're critiquing his technique and all his reads and how he's reading the field and everything. I think they need to try and continue to find a way to keep him motivated. Not that he's content. I'm not saying in any way that I perceive him being a guy resting on his laurels. But what I'm saying is, try and find a way to feed that chip on his shoulder because when he does play with emotion. He just looks like a different player. Overall, last night, I wasn't worried about him at all. I thought, you know, he was, he was a little off. Took him a, a few, uh, a couple of series to kind of get into a groove. But as you say, you know, he finished strong uh, with that drive that tied up the game late. So, Trevor Simeon, it's nothing to worry about. You know, it was the dress rehearsal, but Trevor Simeon does have 14 starts under his belt. Going uh, into this, his second year as a starter, and I think he's going to be just fine. And it's worth noting the knocks on him is that people like to call him Kyle to Kyle Orton 2.0. And I think we've talked about it, that that's entirely inaccurate and a really lazy comparison. And I think he showed that with that 16 yard scramble where it looked like he was going to be sacked. And then I think he juked out. I don't know who it was. Maybe Mike Daniels. Right. On a scrimmage and then takes off for a 16 yard run. And I think in the postgame conference, he, he talks about when he has like a 11, 12, 13, 14, whatever yard run. It feels like it's 65 yards, but I don't know. He, he looks pretty spry, and I know he's not Paxton Lynch, and he's not going to take off for any 20-yard touchdowns or anything, but he's got the requisite athleticism to, to keep the Broncos, even if they're off schedule, to uh, pick, up, pick up some first downs with his legs and kind of extend plays. So I think that's a, that's a good facet to, to add to his game going forward. Definitely underrated athleticism and an ability to buy time and uh, you know move around in and outside the pocket. I think you're going to see him, Trevor Simeon, play with a, a lot more confidence in the pocket this time around with the changes the Broncos made to the offensive line. Now, moving on to Paxton Lynch, Kyle Sloter. Of course, Lynch entered the game in the third quarter. He only ended up playing a handful of snaps before he injured his shoulder. He only tossed uh, two passes, completing one for nine yards. And after the game, Coach Joseph said that Lynch is going to get an MRI on Sunday, which is today, the day we're tracking this episode. Uh, But it's currently not perceived as a serious injury by the team. On the broadcast, I thought it was interesting that color analyst and former Broncos quarterback Brian Greasy said that, you know, to him it looked like it could be a a serious labrum issue, but the team doesn't seem too concerned. Uh, They're going to play it safe, though, additional testing, and we'll let you know how that goes. So check out milehighhuddle.com for an update on that. But Lynch's injury, of course, gave way to Kyle Sloter, who, again, was not supposed to play on Saturday night. This is an undrafted rookie that just won't go away, and... 
it's really forcing Joseph and the Broncos to talk about it. Up to this point, Sloter, I thought it was interesting, hadn't played for more than about 10,000 people in a single game in both of his, you know, his first two preseason uh, actions. But you compare it to Saturday night at Sports Authority Field at Mile High, almost sold out, about 74,000 fans in attendance for the preseason home opener. So Broncos country clearly loves their team. And I could tell at first that Sloter was a little off balance, was a little uh, obviously didn't anticipate playing in the game, uh, but didn't take him long to shake the jitters, hit Hunter Sharp for that 21-yard touchdown strike. Beautiful. Just dropped the ball right in the bucket touchdown and I know it's inferior competition but the sad truth is we haven't seen Paxton Lynch make throws of that caliber and at every turn Sloter is outplaying Lynch but unfortunately as coach Joseph said after the game Sloter's position on the team remains as the third quarterback here's what he said no you know it's a it's it's a minor injury you know as we know you know of now so moving forward if it's something different you know we can discuss that but right now Nothing's changed. Trevor's one and Paxson's two. He stands where, he, where he's standing. He, he's our third right now. No, he played well again, and, and I've been impressed with Kyle. I mean, he's, he's, been, a, he's been really solid through, through camp and through the three games we've played, but he stands where he stands. All right, well, and we got a, a question or two about this in the mailbag, so let's just address it now. Even if Lynch was lost for the season, I don't think the Broncos would keep Sloter on the roster. They'd likely end up looking for a veteran failsafe uh, to back up Trevor Simeon. I think the Broncos will try to keep Sloter, but they will risk him to the waiver wire a week from this coming Monday. And it's a damn shame because the kid has outplayed the first rounder. You know, there's different um, angles that go into this situation. The Broncos' investment in the first rounder, the pride aspect of not wanting to publicly have to address you know, how an undrafted rookie is beating out this first-round pick that you gave up a third-round pick to trade up and acquire. So, once again, you know, Sloter finished with the highest QB rating uh, of the team, 118.5. Very impressive. Maybe the practice squad will, but I don't – let me put it this way. I won't be surprised if another team claims Sloter with how well he's played uh, when the Broncos end up waving him. Yeah, so Vance Joseph already said that they're going to keep, keep two quarterbacks on the roster um, after the cutdown. But I, I don't know if you saw this t- too, but I read that it was just a bruised shoulder for Lynch right now. So I don't know, maybe when this podcast comes out, uh, there will be a few more details and we'll have a timetable on if he's even going to play on Thursday against the Cardinals. And if not, then we're going to see a whole lot of Kyle Sloter. Um, but maybe that's not a bad thing because I I actually really like him, but I think he's got that ki- that killer instinct that we've been wanting to see from Paxton Lynch kind of since that Tampa Bay game. Um, so it's refreshing to see that out of a backup quarterback for the Broncos. But I think where he runs into trouble is he takes a lot of chances, and I think he's sometimes, you know, this is kind of the give and take of Kyle Slaughter, but. He's willing to push the ball down the field, obviously, and sometimes with huge rewards. But he's had a lot of drop picks, and he throws in the coverage a lot. We saw it uh, at the end of that Packers game last night where I think one of their rookie defensive backs undercut the ball and then dropped it, forcing the Broncos to punt. And then fortunately, Lorenzo Doss came up with the interception to end the game. But we see that he he likes to take a lot of chances, and – Sometimes you get that 21-yard touchdown pass to Hunter Sharp. Sometimes you get that deep ball to Isaiah McKenzie. And then sometimes he just forces it up and throws into to places he shouldn't. And I think right now he's kind of getting lucky because he's playing against third and fourth stringers. Yeah. And so I think it would be wise if Paxton Lynch has to miss a few weeks to go with a little contingency plan. I don't think that's going to be Colin Kaepernick just <laughs> to kind of shut the door on that mm-hmm. uh, given – what we've heard out of the Broncos front office recently. But, you know, hopefully, hopefully by the time the Broncos kick the season off, Paxton Lynch's shoulder will be healthy. We see 13 and 12 in the lineup. And then hopefully they figure out something to do with Kyle Slaughter. You know, maybe they can chance it on waivers. Probably not, but either way, you know, the, the story of Kyle Slaughter has been fun to watch. And so he'll get a chance somewhere. I think. The waiver wire, John Elway, of course, was talking about this during Saturday night's broadcast, but the waiver wire is going to have an unprecedented over 1,100 players um, on that Monday 
following right. the final preseason uh, game. So there's going to be a few quarterbacks in that mix that the Broncos will likely consider whether Paxton Lynch is absolutely healthy or not. I know Joseph said that they're planning on rolling with two, and I'm sure they'll probably roll a, a stick to that. But they will, if they see someone that they really like or feel like could could uh, bolster their situation, I won't be surprised if they do end up bringing in a veteran. But Kyle Sloter, unfortunately, he's just not in the he's just not in the plans this year. And there's politics and different things that go into that roster math. And again, you do have to focus and and talk about the fact that he is playing against mostly third team competition and. Those guys, by and large, are going to be on the list of 1,100-plus on that waiver wire on Monday. So, you know, as exciting as he is, and he's got, I think, a lot of potential, and there's a lot to like about him, you know, he's just not anywhere to a point in his development quite yet where the Broncos feel the the compulsion or the need to keep him on the roster. And what also goes against him, unfortunately, is the fact that both of Denver's quarterback options are young guys who, even Trevor Simeon, relatively inexperienced so if the broncos were to roster three guys it would not be an undrafted rookie who has not played a single snap uh, in real nfl football it would be someone who brings something different to the table so you know we'll still wish him the best of luck i do think the broncos will continue to uh, plan on keeping him on the practice squad the question will be whether or not another team claims him and i wouldn't be surprised will you know, even if it does remain just a bruised shoulder for Paxton Lynch, it is his throwing shoulder. So the game, it's a pretty short turnaround, you know, Thursday night for the fourth game. I would expect to see a lot of Kyle Sloter uh, on on Thursday night, if any, of Paxton Lynch. And I think that's kind of a win for the fans because I think 60 minutes of watching the slope machine field is 60 minutes well spent. So I think we're going to have a good Thursday night. Absolutely. Now, we still have a lot to get to, uh, including a, a little conversation about Vaughn Miller, Jamal Charles, and risers and fallers. But first, we once again want to say thank you to our sponsor, MyBookie.net. Now, again, MyBookie is all about the fun and excitement of making accurate predictions on your favorite teams without having to risk any funds. This is not a gambling site. Site members can make picks against real spreads, Real lines, totals for major sports leagues and associations, as well as, of course, college sports, and compete for great prizes courtesy of MyBookie. MyBookie.net is the greatest, most professional, and totally free, most importantly, 100% recreational sports prediction service you can find on the web. So instead of the typical head to head challenges and handicapping contests, MyBookie.net goes beyond the basics and offers members a true betting platform that will make users feel like they were in a real betting site. So unlike most betting services, MyBookie.net is again completely free and it allows you to make daily predictions and bets and win real prizes at no risk or no cost to you. So again, MyBookie.net is not a gambling or a play for money site. It's a free sports wagering website built for millions of sports fans to provide them with a platform to participate in picking games, predicting scores, and competing for free prizes without risking any money. Just like the you know, your office pick'em contests and fantasy football, my bookie brings a deeper enjoyment and excitement for uh, you know, and watching our favorite teams by increasing the stakes. It is fun. So for no cost, you get to make predictions, you get to qualify for prizes, and it's absolutely free for all users. And of course, we say thank you to mybookie.net for sponsoring the Huddle Up podcast. All right, now let's talk about Von Miller. The Broncos have been very cautious with their star player this summer. They haven't wanted to risk him unduly to injury. And on Saturday night, in fact, he only played 11 snaps in his preseason debut. But talk about production. I mean, Miller recorded a tackle, a sack, and a tackle for a loss in those 11 snaps. And I think he taught uh, Packers right tackle Jason Spriggs, who is a young player, uh, a lesson or two about defending the edge. I mean, Miller's spin move is just absolutely ridiculous ridiculous will defenders simply have no defense for that speed and that quickness and frankly just the variety of tools that he deploys in his pass rush they just never know what to expect and if you look at Miller's career I mean there's really only two accolades that he's yet to 
uh, notch to the old belt. He's yet to actually win Defensive Player of the Year, and he's never led the league in sacks, although he's come close. In fact, last year, he finished as the runner-up in both those categories. But, Will, do you think, I mean, obviously it's only 11 snaps, but he's coming off what I think was probably his most balanced year as a pro following the Super Bowl last year. Do you think 2017 is the season that Von Miller finally wins Defensive Player of the Year and maybe even leads the league in sacks? I think there's always a really good chance of that happening with Von Miller, but it's going to be a lot tougher than last year. And I think a lot of that is due to guys like Justin Houston. Looks like he's going to play the full season. And remember, he started the season. um, I think it was either on the IR return list or maybe the pup list. So he missed a good chunk of the beginning of, of the 2016 season. And J.J. Williams, in those two games, he wasn't even, you know, the J.J. Watt that we're used to seeing. So if he wants to win that sack title, he's going to have to beat out guys like Vic Beasley, who was the winner from last year. I don't know if he gets there again. Thanks, um, Ty Sambrilo. Yeah, exactly. Um, Michael Schofield versus Khalil Mack 2.0. <laughs> uh, speaking of which, Khalil Mack's always going to be up there in the sack race. Yep. Obviously, Justin Houston, if he plays a full 16-game slate, and then obviously you can't count out guys like Jadavian Clowney or J.J. Watt. I don't know if uh, either of those guys combine to get more sacks than a duo like, I don't know, Justin Houston and Von Miller in the AFC West. Um, but that's a pair that you've got to watch out for. So yep. I think the key for Von Miller personally is Shane Ray is going to have to be healthy and productive on the other side so they can't keep stacking uh, the line against Von Miller and keeping in a running back and a tight end or what what not to chip him, but Stin, Bosa, Watt, and then Mac all kind of have modest years or they don't get quite the sack totals that we're used to. And then Shane Ray's big force like Demarcus Ware was on the other side, at least when healthy. I think he's definitely got a chance. I don't know I don't know if it's gonna be thirty sacks like he said, but right to um maybe like twenty twelve where he was approaching twenty sacks, where I think that year he probably should have been defensive player of the year too. Definitely his most productive statistical season, 2012, where he finished with 18 and a half sacks. And, you know, to answer my own question, Von Miller is still in his prime. And I think this year is as good as any opportunity he's going to have to, uh, you know, add those two more, those last two accolades, I should say, on his his, uh, hearth at home and his trophy chest, so to speak. So I'm looking forward to him this year. And I agree with you that some of that will have to do with the development of Shane Ray and whether or not he takes that next step. But Von Miller, one of the premier players in the league, uh, arguably the best defensive player in the year or in this in the league. And the only reason I don't say he is the best defensive player in the league is because I do think that there's a real conversation to be had between he and J.J. Watt. But uh, one other thing I want to move on to before we get to risers and fallers, I want to talk about Jamal Charles because we've all been waiting on pins and needles to see him in action. Basically months and months of rehabilitation. The Broncos taking it slow. Charles finally made his debut in the orange and blue versus the Packers. And frankly, Will, he was everything I expected him to be. Now just listening to him speak this whole offseason, reading between the lines, Uh, reading his tonality, I felt confident that he is a man on a mission and that he was going to shine in his opportunity. Charles entered the game, uh, touched the ball six times total, four carries for 27 yards, averaging 6.8 yards per tote. He also contributed two passes, uh, or two receptions, I should say, for 15 yards. He looked twitchy, he looked explosive, and honestly, he looked hungry. I think he's still really pissed off about how the Chiefs uh, released him earlier this year, but was it enough to earn a place on the 53-man roster? Here's what Coach Joseph said following the game. I thought Jamal was impressive. I mean, he hadn't played football in, in almost a year and a half, you know, so to take the contact to find the uh, to find open space the way he did, caught the ball well, his protections were good, so I was impressed with Jamal. You know, I, you know, I, I was hoping he looked like that tonight, so I was I was pleased. Yeah, Vance, just to kind of clarify everything that's out there, you are planning on Jamal's good to go for the Chargers. For the Chargers? You mean in two weeks? Yeah, yeah, I hope so. Absolutely. All right, Will. Uh, Charles brings an element, I agree, to the Broncos' offense 
really maybe that C.J. Anderson just can't. And you add to that the veteran savvy that Charles brings to the table, which we saw in his pass protection, destroying that one defensive end on a chip and then picking up a blitz inside. And I think it just portends great things for 2017 if he can stay healthy. And I guess really that's the rub, Will, because that few amount of snaps, as as confidence-inspiring uh, as it was, it's still... You know, he still has a long way to go to prove that he can stay healthy, but it sounds like the Broncos are going to roll the dice on Charles and his uh, surgically repaired knee. It was kind of a weird thing to watch this offseason because we're all so excited after the draft when they when they kind of signed Jamal Charles out of nowhere. You know, it, it was such a it was such a celebrated move uh, in early May. And then the longer we got without seeing him on the field, the narrative kind of started that well, Jamal Charles might not make this team. And honestly, going into last night's game, I was really nervous and I was kind of holding my breath to see what he would look like <laughs> in a Broncos uniform. Yep. And I think he put all those concerns, the ball for seven yards the first time, and then he caught caught a few passes. Like you said, he, he stepped up in the pocket. And even though Trevor Simeon got sacked, he put his hat on Joe Thomas and pushed him back. He looked like he had the best punch on that team, even with all the offensive linemen. So yep. that was nice to see. He's definitely a do-it-all veteran running back. So I think his spot's definitely locked up on this on this 53-man roster. I think Stephen Ridley's probably the odd man out in that case, unfortunately. Mm. Although he's looked really good in this preseason and definitely in training camp, so I think he'll find a home elsewhere. Charles can do it all, and he showed it last night. It's it's almost an embarrassment of riches right now at running back, given the emergence of D'Angelo Henderson, because you're probably only, especially with Andy Janovich, you're only going to activate three guys on game day. So that's going to be kind of a story within this this greater story of who makes the team at running back. So you're going to have probably Anderson, Charles, Henderson, and Booker. And right now, I don't know how you can keep either Henderson or Charles off the field. So I think like I think to start the season at least, Booker might be the guy in street co- street clothes on the sideline. Yeah, yeah, it'll probably take him some time. Uh, Broncos will kind of. They won't rush Booker back into action, give him a couple weeks to acclimate while Anderson, Charles, Henderson carry the load. Um, and we'll talk more about Fallers and Stephen Ridley here in a minute. But I, unfortunately, sadly, I do have to agree with you on that. But, you know, when you go back to Charles' game against the Packers, the one play, of course, that really scared everybody. And at first, I was I thought it was his knee because of that those two cuts he made. And of course, I'm talking about the play in which he sustained that shot to the to the head, in which the Broncos had to take him into the medical tent uh, and uh, you know diagnosed whether or not he had a concussion. Fortunately, he returned to the field; he was fine. But there was that five ten minute gap of time in which we didn't know if they were evaluating his knee or if they were evaluating him for a concussion or something else. And just the way he cut, it wasn't quite as uh, firm of a cut to the, these two different jump cuts that he made and it just kind of looked like you know I don't, I don't I don't know if anyone remembers the first time Jamal Charles tore his ACL it was basically running out of bounds and you you looked at that play and I think if I recall right he actually ran over or stepped on like the first down marker out of bounds and yeah you know, even watching it then you didn't think that that was the type of of play that would result in a guy blowing out his ACL those cuts uh, in which he sustained ultimately that shot to the head, those were a little bit more scary-looking cuts, but it, he was fine. It ended up being his head. So the more opportunities he gets to see the field, and as he talked about after the game, playing live bullets, I think the more confident we'll all become that he can hold up and that his knee is 100%. But it sounds like the Broncos, of course, are uh, are absolutely confident in that at least for now. So let's uh, let's get to the risers and fallers. And this time we'll we'll start with our respective fallers. You lead the way. Five guys whose stock you feel like took a hit on Saturday night against the Packers. Yep. So starting off, I'm going to go with left guard Max Garcia. He got beat a couple times. Um, he got beat on. I think it was Mike Daniels who who got inside of him and then drilled Trevor Simeon. Who, whose pass fell errant as a result. So Max Garcia has struggled in pass protection all preseason, and I, I don't see any way that they don't start Alan Barber 
to start the regular season. We've heard some rumors surrounding Max Garcia, but I, I don't know how much credence we can give to those right now oh. until they seem oh. substantiated. Elaborate on them in case our listeners have missed it. Right. So there, there are a couple of reports, I think, coming from a, a few sources that the team was looking to move Max Garcia, along with some other reports too about uh, Ahmad Brooks, but um, we don't know how that's going to shape out. We know Ahmad Brooks is visiting the Packers today, but the Garcia thing seems legitimate. Um, it makes sense uh, if you looked at how he's played versus how Alan Barber's played. And Garcia is always going to be a mauler in the run game, but they can't have that type of liability in pass protection. So I think for that reason, put Garcia on the followers list again. Second, this this might be a little bit surprising, but I'm going to go with Emmanuel Sanders. And I don't want to sound like someone who has picked a few fights with Emmanuel Sanders before. And I think everybody knows who I'm talking about, but it's just been kind of for him. He had that, uh, he was cited for, I think it was reckless driving earlier in the week on the way to practice. And then today in the game, or sorry, last night, but Trevor Simeon missed him and that happens. And Sanders, his body language is just, it's mm-hmm. it's annoying. I think it, it's just kind of obnoxious, and it, it kind of reminds you of someone like Tio or I don't know who else. But right, it, it's not what you want to see. And then Simeon goes back to him, fires a ball deep down the right sideline, and Sanders can't come up with it. So I think that's that's kind of like a, a bad three strike week for Sanders between getting cited for reckless driving on the way to practice. Never something. Uh, not not how you want to start your day typically, in my opinion. But and then kind of causing a scene when Trevor Simeon missed them. You know it happens, and it's the preseason, so chill out, out Emmanuel. And then when he finally does get a pass that hits him in the hands, he can't reel it in. So yep. Emmanuel Sanders, second follower, third. This is also maybe a little surprising given the the fanfare that surrounded him last night. But Menelik Watson. He's definitely a riser in the game of life because he proposed to his uh, girlfriend, who is now his fiance, yep. in the middle of the game. Congrats. Right. But he did get beat again at, at tackle on the same play that Garrett Bowles got beat that led to a Simeon sack. So a little concerning, but um, I think as long as he's serviceable and they can help put someone like Jamal Charles or C.J. Anderson or a tight end and give him a little help on the right side, I think he'll be okay, but not what you want to see. And then fourth – Um, I think he's on your list too, but D'Angelo Henderson uh, obviously led the team in rushing, but I think you're seeing a couple cracks and those were his fumbles. He fumbled out of bounds and then he lost the fumble. So I think we're seeing that he's not the perfect running back. So we'll, we'll hold off on measuring the gold jacket for now, but if he can figure out his ball security issues, uh, he'll have no problem getting carries in the regular season. So he's the fourth follower, but Fifth, and I got to keep him on until he proves otherwise, but it's Brock Olivo. So the the special teams weren't disastrous last night, but it seemed like every positive play uh, had a yellow flag attached. So I think if we can get a decent re- return game out of the special teams, Brandon McManus keeps knocking those field goals down the uprights, and then um, Riley Dixon – keeps doing what he's doing. I think they'll be okay, but they got to clean up the penalties and they got to um, break down before they hit those kickoff returners to stop those long gains. But Brock Olivo, until he proves that, unfortunately, he's my fifth faller. Hard to uh, argue against that. I mean, the, the, the one thing going in his favor is that his special teams units feature many players who aren't going to be in the league. Uh, right. You know, a little more than a week from now. So that's the that's the one. Uh, if it's going to give you any cause for hope that everything, uh, you know, that Olivo's at least still on the right track, it's that. But yeah, uh, definitely a, a situation for concern. You got to wonder what's going on there. Henderson, you know, the big knock on him, of course, fumbling and size. But he's five foot seven. He's two hundred eight pounds. I think he has the requisite size, if needed, to be a workhorse in this league. Maybe not a 30-carry-a-game type of guy, but he's a guy, if the Broncos needed him to, I'm confident he could. they could feed him 15, 20 times a game, and he could hold up physically. But you saw, as you say, some flaws in his technique there with how high at times, and you just can't do it when you're running through the hole, carrying the ball so high in which, and, and just kind of swinging his arm out a little too wide and easily gets knocked out, fumble, 
twice in the same game. And that's been the knock on him and one of the reasons why, aside from, you know, the, the level of competition concerns at Coastal Carolina, that he fell to the sixth round. So hopefully, you know, he got a good talking to on the sideline by Eric Studisville in game, and I'm sure he's going to get razzed uh, and coached up a, a lot more during the film sessions, but that's definitely something to keep in mind. And for me, you know, my five guys, Stephen Ridley, unfortunately, one of the biggest things going against Stephen Ridley is as well as he's performed by and large since donning the orange and blue, he has mostly been restricted to playing behind the third team offensive line, and it just hasn't served him well. And with Jamal Charles coming on so strongly on Saturday night, I agree with you that it's hard to just it's hard to see a place on this team for Stephen Ridley. Now, maybe if D'Angelo Henderson had uh, failed to be the star up to this point that he has, Stephen Ridley might have a, a clearer shot to the roster. But I don't see him uh, actually making it this time around unless something changes dramatically between now and uh, the end of Thursday's game. Max Garcia, we're on the same page. My question to the Broncos is, when is enough enough? I mean, he's you started him for 16 games last year. You've started him for all three preseason games, and the story remains the same. He can get it done at times as a run blocker, but as, as, as a pass protector, he puts your quarterback at risk. He puts your team at risk. You can't trust him. It's plain and simple. Whether you move him or not doesn't matter to me. But what it really comes down to is he needs to be the second man in, not the starter. And I don't care if it's Alan Barber. Uh, I would actually prefer to see Connor McGovern get an opportunity there. But Alan Barber, by far, has outplayed Max Garcia uh, as a first-team left guard. So my third guy, unfortunately, is Dion Hollins, undrafted rookie outside linebacker from UCLA. You know, he's been a guy under the radar up to this point, hasn't made, you know, the notebook in a positive way, uh, nor really a negative way, which isn't good for him either way. I mean, if you're an undrafted rookie, you got to find a way to shine if you're going to make the roster. But he really hurt his chances uh, last night against the Packers with basically on the same series, and if I recall right, back-to-back, uh, or at least two or three plays apart, uh, negated Lorenzo Das's interception where he lined up in the neutral zone for offsides. So unfortunately for him, I don't think that spells anything good. Um, and when you have a guy like Ken Ekenem probably playing at least as good, uh, if not slightly better and smarter, doesn't portend well for, for Deion Hollins. D'Angelo Henderson, we're on the same page there. you got to tighten up the fumbles. And then my last guy is Todd Davis. Now listen, we don't, we're not privy exactly to the words that were shared between Aqib Tlaib and Todd Davis that led to that little spat. But from everything I've, I've, I've read and just hearing things between the lines, everything, it sounds like Aqib Tlaib was trying to calm down a situation with Todd Davis, and Davis took his comments maybe the wrong way, and it turned into a very unprofessional spat on the sidelines, really on the field as well, and it kind of dragged on for a little bit too long. So Todd Davis, it's not necessarily a knock on his play on the field, obviously, but not something uh, that the coaches want to see, especially in a preseason game. I mean, it was just dumb throwing your helmet or slamming your helmet into your teammate who's a first-team All-Pro. Todd Davis, I don't know exactly what Aqib Tlaib said to you, uh, obviously, it irritated you, but from the sounds of it, you misinterpreted it and were a little too amped up and a little bit too emotional. So he's the the final Bronco for me on the faller list, Todd Davis. Now, risers, I'll run through these very quickly. For me, Jamal Charles, enough said. Uh, he basically solidified himself a place on the roster. Shelby Harris, we've talked a lot about him today. He's number two. The third uh, riser, I'm going to say the running game in general. I've been very impressed with the changes the Broncos have made. The scheme obviously has made a big difference. The talent in the backfield and then, of course, um, the new players on the offensive line have made a a huge difference in the Broncos' running game. And I think we're going to see that with the first-team units being carried into the season. Now, they might not be, you know, Dallas Cowboys caliber as far as a running game this year, but I'm confident that they're not going to be in the doldrums as they were Uh, the last couple years as a rushing team. Um, Jamal Carter, the safety, obviously last week, 
He uh, was hoping to parlay his phenomenal performance in Chicago into another one, but he injured his knee early. Just a a minor uh, knee contusion, missed most of the Niners game, came back, played extremely well against the Packers, continues to be one of the, uh, you know, under the radar risers. I think he's another guy, even though he's an undrafted rookie, I think he's a guy the Broncos are going to have a hard time not carrying on the roster and then lastly for me is Brendan Langley Denver's rookie third round cornerback who has not really made much of a positive impact up to this point in the preseason games they have been giving him a ton of reps I mean they're trying to get him as much experience as possible and it's looking like it's starting to pay off a little bit there were a few lapses that I noticed in the game and I've only watched the game one time so just for the record I haven't gone back and really studied the film but upon the first uh, watching of the game there was a couple of lapses um, but I was really impressed by Brendan Langley making an open field tackle in particular also as a kick returner 28 yards so happy to see Brendan Langley will actually do something positive and make a positive impression in my notebook this week. Right. It's good to see action out of him. Uh, I think the Broncos might be in a tough spot without Kayvon Webster as their fourth corner, but how many teams can say that they're four corners deep? Um, But to get to my risers really quickly, and I'll run through them uh, fairly quickly because I think there's a lot of overlap, uh, like with the followers, with Jamal Charles. uh, Showed off some great acceleration last night, and like you said, I think he's making the team – Number two, Shelby Harris. We talked about him. He's basically a one-man wrecking crew, also making the team, in my opinion. Third, I'm going to go with Hunter Sharp, and I don't think he is making the team by any means. He's in the conversation, or he at least should be in the conversation for the back end of that 10-man practice squad, given what he's done the last couple of weeks. We kind of thought that Anthony Nash might be that uh, surprise wide receiver that that kind of blows the door doors down in the preseason but that's that's been a couple passes including that touchdown from Kyle Slaughter last night so he's he's kind of kept himself in the mix in the last two weeks fourth Matt Paradis coming back from injury he was the other guy along with Jamal Charles that we were all excited to see and he showed off really well he pulled a couple of times and pulling for an offensive lineman one of the toughest parts is getting your hips squared and Matt Paradis who's coming back from I, I think two hip surgeries right really squared around pretty quickly and then got his hat on a Packers defender both times that he pulled, um, creating a couple big runs. So it's good to see him back. And I think he's going to be, a, he's going to give a huge boon to the running game uh, come September 11th. And then fifth, a guy who I don't think there's any question that he's going to make the team now is Jordan Taylor had that touchdown last week, followed it up with another nice back shoulder grab where yep. he looks like he just has, Gorilla Glue uh, slapped on his hands, especially on that one catch. That was pretty incredible. Uh, and then added a couple other catches. So I think he's going to round out the wide receiver core. Can't uh, I can't argue. This week, obviously, a lot of overlap in both our fallers and our risers. Means we're seeing things the same, and it was good. I would agree to see Matt Paradis back in action and shedding a little bit of that rust and getting out there and and pulling and opening the way for his ball carrier. So good for Matt Paradis. Again, my only thing is Broncos. What are you gonna do about Connor McGovern? Are you gonna keep him as the the next guy on the field at guard or center, or are you gonna find a way to play him? Because if it's all about playing your best five guys, I think you're leaving the situation unresolved by not at least trying him with the ones. And now that ship has sailed because the first team is not going to play in the fourth preseason game. But uh, we'll take one question from the mailbag before we get out of here. That time of the week, mile high mailbag. We are your football priests. We're here to offer absolution and answers to your burning Broncos questions. The one we're going to take today, we've received a few, but a lot of them just kind of tied into basically the the topics and storylines we wanted to touch on today. We will answer Jacob Smith at JS Mile High nine seven nine eight question. He says, "Will has the Broncos uh, have the Broncos done enough to shore up the run defense?" And then he comments, "This preseason, the defense looks incredible, in my opinion. Obviously, thanks, guys." So, Will, your answer for Jacob: Have the Broncos done enough to shore up the run defense? I think they have, and I don't think it's ever going to get back to the level that it was in 2015 where it it just seemed like it was impossible to get even three yards on the ground against the Broncos. But they they brought in uh, Domitop Pecco, and he's been pretty impressive, I think, in the preseason, along with uh, Zach Kerr, who who hopefully uh, won't be out too long 
with an injury. We'll have to check back in on that. Uh, obviously, Billy Wynn's gone, but Jared Crick should be back soon. Derek Wolf is Derek Wolf. Brandon Marshall and Todd Davis are, are going to be the two leading tacklers on the team, I think, without any doubt. So I think I think they've done enough. Um, it won't be as much of a disaster, really, to put it plainly, as it was in 2016. Yeah. So I think if they can shore it up, and then it doesn't have to be top five, but with given how good their pass defense is, if they're around 10 to 15 and run defense, it's going to be a dominant defense overall again, I think. Yeah, and I think you look at Adam Gotsis. For me, it's all about their depth because you can see how quickly things can change in the NFL when the injury bug strikes with Derek Wolf and Jared Crick both going down. So you got to know whether or not the Broncos have the right pieces depth-wise to overcome any possible losses in a 16-game season. I mean, it's a war of attrition. And I think Adam Gotsis, to me, has answered a lot of questions thus far. I think he's really made uh, some strides in his development heading into his second year. Zach Kerr, of course, hurt his knee. It's not believed at this point at the time of recording this this episode of being serious, but hopefully it isn't. And if it isn't, I think the Broncos at the backup defensive end, the five techs, including Shelby Harris, I think the depth's there for them to continue to be stout against the run. Demata Pecco, I mean, he has been absolutely phenomenal for the Broncos. And then behind him, obviously, you lose Billy Wynn, but Tyreek Jarrett continues to make plays when he's on the field. I think he's another undrafted rookie that has a really, really, really good shot at making this roster. So I agree with Will that while they might not be a dominant unit against the run, they are not going to be a bottom third uh, defense in that particular category this year. In fact, I would expect them to actually finish as a defensive uh, against the run as a defense in the top 10. So that'll do it for today. Well, to Hannah May and others, uh, thank you for your questions. Again, I think we answered them over the course of the show. But before we get out of here, we want to also say thank you to our sponsor, Audible. Get a free audiobook download and a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up. You get a free book, and with that free book, there's over 180,000 different titles to choose from for your iPhone, Android, Kindle, or MP3 player. Supports the show, allows us to continue to bring you this content on a bi-weekly basis, if not more. Again, that's audibletrial.com forward slash huddle up, and we thank them for also being a sponsor. But that'll do it for today. You can find Will in the Twitterverse at WillKey6, myself at Chad and Jensen. Tweet us your questions. We'll always try to address them on the show as often as we can. Look for Nick and Carl's preview of the last preseason game by Wednesday, Thursday morning at the latest. And don't forget to subscribe, y'all. For Will, I'm Chad. We'll talk to you soon. Mile high huddle. Time to fire up the grill. Time to go to Total Wine and find the perfect flavor to pair with those burgers. Ooh, I love their beer cooler. <laughs> you love their prices even more. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Turn off your laptop. We're on staycation. I'm on TotalWine.com. They have so many rosés, chardonnays, and proseccos. It feels like a real vacation. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more.